listening to the Just Means Less ACC podcast with your host, Micah from Fifth Quarter and Dan from ACC Content. Dan, the ACC is a mess, a big, big mess. As they said in the campaign, bring your brooms because it's a mess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know how much like this week added to it, but that's definitely the case. Um, I mean, it's just the teams, like, one week they're going to tell you one thing. The next week they're going to tell you something completely different. And our job is to analyze and these teams and draw conclusions, and it's just so hard to do. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. This week in the ACC was not close. We had two games that were close. The rest were 20 points or more. <laughs> so... The week of the blowout happened here at week eight, week seven of the ACC slate. So I say we just kind of dive right into it. We'll start off with what was upset alert, question mark, because, again, this game ended up being a fairly handable win for Clemson. But Clemson beats Syracuse 47-21 in what was everyone's phone was blowing up because, you know, Syracuse was within, what, six, if I'm not mistaken? It was 27-21. And, yeah, in the third quarter. Yeah, everyone's starting to think, oh, man, is Syracuse going to do it with backup quarterback Rex Culpepper? And, Dan, I want your thoughts on this. I, I'm not going to lie. I watched the first quarter, and when Clemson jumped out to what it was, like 17-0, I, I turned it off. And then next thing I know, I'm getting that update saying it's 27-21. So I ended up going back and re-watching, you know, the highlights and the extended highlights of the game, the condensed game. But – um, obviously you didn't get that same app, like that same feeling if you're watching it live with this comeback, but it just felt like watching the condensed game, you know, Clemson just kind of really honestly took its foot completely off the gas. I mean, they just, I don't know if they were trying to try things that they don't normally would do because they realized they could try it and it wouldn't, it wouldn't burn them on the scoreboard, but they just seemed all kinds of out of sorts for that, that, uh, second and third quarter where. Syracuse outscored Clemson 21 to 17. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there was a single Syracuse, Clemson, or just general ACC fan like us that actually thought that Syracuse would somehow pull this off. But I mean, it is definitely a concern for Clemson to be letting the worst team in the conference hang in there. Um, two straight weeks with Travis Etienne under 100 yards, Trevor Lawrence second straight week with a pick of course that etn stat goes with an asterisk because um two weeks ago he was banged up a lot but still i, I don't know i'm not that worried about them i mean if any other team in, the con in this conference beat syracuse by 26 points they would call it a good day and this was an off day for clemson so i mean that all things considered if this is just one fluky week i think clemson's in perfectly fine shape we've been raving about how amazing they've been and how they've completely dominated teams like Georgia Tech. They've just beat 73-7. to seven. So I'm not that worried about them. But it's, it's definitely something that deserves talking about. I think, the, I think the thing that kind of stands out to me with all of this is more of the fact that if Rex Culpepper even played a decent game, say he's not going to say wins, wins this football game, but – it wouldn't have been a 26 you know, point victory for Clemson. I mean, you look at it, of the three scoring 
drive or scoring drives with an asterisk because one was a defensive touchdown for Syracuse. We're talking a 30-yard drive that was a seven-yard touchdown run. We're talking about Trevor Lawrence being picked for a pick six when it was 24 to seven right before halftime. And then we're talking about a just absolute blown coverage play where, you know, Culpepper hits Johnson for 83 yards and a touchdown. So, I mean, Clemson had, you know, gave up a big play. Trevor Lawrence did not protect the ball like he has so far this year, but, you know, made a bad read on that play. But it kind of felt like Clemson, again, was just trying to just toy around, was playing backyard football and didn't stick to the system because they knew they could beat Syracuse regardless of what they did. And, I mean, that's kind of what I took away from this. I, I think it honestly kind of shows that Clemson still is the best team in the country because they could goof around. I don't want to use you know, inappropriate language, so we'll say you goof around and not play good football and, and still find a way to beat a FBS team by 20-some points. Yeah, it's just it's just weird because the two teams that have challenged Clemson the most this year are at the bottom – or not at the bottom, but towards the bottom of at least my power rankings, and I'm assuming yours, with Syracuse and Virginia – I mean, I think Virginia was a little bit different because I think Virginia actually played a hell of a game. For Syracuse, they did on the defensive side. It's not like Syracuse was dominant on offense. And so Clemson was a little bit worse in this Syracuse game than they were against Virginia. But that's just weird how, I mean, people like to use the term Clemsoning. I don't really like that because I feel like that's just victimizing them by their success because of how incredible they are. They're just not allowed to let any team in any game which is just completely unfair but yeah to Syracuse a little bit I mean like I said the offense was not good at all I I mean in the passing game the running game was pretty good but no Taj Harris that really was not good I'm not sure why I didn't make the trip I'll have to look more into that and um I know you could talk to some Syracuse folks they'll probably give you information about that but yeah, aside from that, like you said, that 83-yard bomb to Nikeem Johnson, they couldn't really get anything going in the passing department. And I talked about on the bright side, if they could contain Trevor Lawrence, then it's definitely a plus, and that is most certainly what happened. So a positive for them in that respect, especially considering they were without Trill Williams and, more importantly, Andre Sisco. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing I kind of took away is I think – when it comes down to it, Clemson doesn't move from number one in the conference. Syracuse, unfortunately, not to do a spoiler, is not going to move up in my power rankings. They're still going to set that bottom spot. But, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, again, I think if Syracuse was healthy, there's a chance they'd pull this. But I agree, Dan. You said it, like, at the very beginning there. Like, I don't think watching it, I actually thought there was going to be an upset. I more dialed in to see if Clemson would just, you know, go full full throttle to just – expand the lead which they did go on to do so I mean really in the end I think I just learned that Clemson you know you can't have a bad game so obviously they can't afford to have that in the playoffs but we don't normally see that from Clemson they'll when they when they dial it in they're the best team in the country but um, if you have nothing else Dan I'd like to to move on to what was probably my favorite game Uh, maybe not favorite but most relieving game of the week with Louisville absolutely destroying Florida State, uh, 48 to 16, in what was probably by far, obviously the best performance from Louisville all season. But honestly, felt like Florida State was very, very hungover 
they may have hit the bars a little too hard in Tallahassee last weekend after that upset win over North Carolina because they they looked bad. Yeah, I mean, finally though, this Louisville team we thought we'd seen in the beginning of the year. Their offense was in full force and unstoppable. I mean, the defense. All right, maybe giving up 16 points is probably not what we'd expect even in the beginning of the year with Louisville, but this is the offense that we wanted to see. This is why we initially had them in the upper half of the conference, or at least I did. You did a nice job um, kind of halting off the hype in the beginning of the year, calling them the most overrated team in the conference. But anyway, um, yeah, I believe in the first half they had – six drives and four touchdowns in a field goal or five touchdowns in a field goal, something insane like that. And um, another game holding their opponents in the teens. Finally, Cunningham Hawkins Atwell performs their caliber and that's, what's going to happen. So, you know, definitely great sign for Louisville. Like you said, it's a huge relief to see this. Maybe they could rise their way towards the middle and finish the season strong with some wins. Cause there are some winnable games in there. Yeah, with Louisville's offense, you mentioned it. I mean, this is what we needed to see from them. You know, Cunningham had a fantastic day. I loved seeing the – I don't know if it's, it's the emergence because it might be the reemergence. We've seen it before with Javion Hawkins absolutely just going off, rushing for what I believe was, yeah, 174 yards. Obviously, he broke one for 70. But I think the thing that took away most from this game that really made me excited about Louisville moving forward is the fact that they can, they actually were able to sustain some drives. I mean, their first two scoring drives was four plays, 77 yards. And then the JV on Hawkins 70 yard touchdown run. So obviously just one play there, but in the second quarter, we're talking about, and even at the end of the first quarter there, 72 yard drive for 10 plays, eight plays, 73 yards, touchdown, seven plays, 75 yard touchdown. And then right before the half, they actually go 84 yards, their longest drive of the game. Settled for a field goal, but still, they were moving the football. They weren't just, you know, hitting the big play. And that's the thing that Louisville has thrived on so far this year when they've had success. It's just they've kind of hit the big play and not really been able to finish drives. Well, they finally did that. And I think it kind of shows that I think this could be the spark that gets Louisville going and definitely adds some more uh, intrigue to their game hosting Virginia Tech this coming weekend. We'll obviously talk about that later in the week. But with Florida State, I mean – this is what's disappointing is, you know, this is the Florida State team I think we've seen all year minus the first half against North Carolina. And that's very, very disappointing because I thought maybe they would use last week's game, especially with the fact that they almost blew it and got very, very fortunate that they did not. That really, North Carolina just couldn't execute at the end of the game. That might be a wake up call to at least, you know, get that team kind of dialed in. Mm-mm. Nope, this, uh, this defense is horrendous absolutely horrendous and honestly the offense (laughs) not much better I mean I think again they're in better hands than they were with Jordan Travis but I mean they couldn't really get anything going offensively I mean we're talking uh 265 yards of total offense which I mean or sorry 265 yards of rushing which was pretty solid but again just not able to finish drives I mean what are your thoughts on Florida State? What's your takeaway from Florida State here? Because I uh, unfortunately lost a lot of that love that I kind of got for them last week. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I mean, we know they're still a bottom dweller 
I don't think this drastically changes things. It's just this UNC game last week gave them a chance to have a turnaround, kind of a spark, and that really I don't think will be the case anymore. I think that they're – I mean, looking at it now, I think I might have overreacted a little bit to it, but still, like, it's – their their program is is far away, um, and their defense is really like not living up to what I thought they'd be in the beginning of the year. They've been pretty much straight out bad. Um, they've had potential all year, but what they've been doing is just completely falling apart, completely breaking down, giving up points in bunches. Um, Miami game they give up five touchdowns in five consecutive drives. UNC game they give up three touchdowns and four drives, the Louisville game, this game, they gave up four touchdowns and a field goal in the first five drives of the first half. I believe that took the entire duration of the half besides maybe one like Louisville drive that ended up ending the half. So that's not ideal at all. Um, I'm really much more concerned about the Florida state uh, defense than I am about their offense. Their offense is not fantastic at all, but it's, it's these defensive pieces that were supposed to carry them this year because they are loaded there, and that's just hasn't been the case. Yeah, for sure. That's that's a big question mark moving forward for Florida State. I think I'm starting to wonder, Dan, if maybe Florida State got their win for the year. <laughs> maybe they have one more somewhere, you know, when they get Virginia or Duke at any year. But yeah, they uh, they definitely it's this buy is going to be much needed because. They need to regroup, and honestly, getting pit might not be the worst thing for them right off of a bye. But, yeah, this one is um, not looking good for Florida State. I will say I do think that, you know, the Mike Norvell hire is kind of showing itself that it was – that he's got a lot of work to do, so the patience needs to be there. But he is a fantastic coach because, again, they would not have beaten North Carolina with Willie Taggart. And so, you know, looking at it right now, it's kind of like, Unfortunately, Florida State's got a lot of bad habits and, and Mike Norvell just can't break them up. I'm I'm genuinely shocked and maybe a little concerned that, like you said, this defensive leadership between Marvin Wilson and Nigel Dean and um, I'm forgetting the other one right now. So Samuel Jr. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, would would kind of like you said carry this team, keep them in games, and unfortunately they've done everything but the opposite of that. So um, obviously that just kind of kind of flattens Florida State for me. But any other thoughts on this one, Dan, before we move to the only ranked on ranked matchup? And unfortunately not not a very good ranked on ranked matchup here in the ACC. No, um, I think we can move on. Um, yeah, it wasn't the best ranked versus ranked matchup, but at least one team showed up. And I mean, they didn't show up the last week, but North Carolina winning by 27 points is a positive sign for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, the difference was the offense showed up. The offense didn't show up in the first half against uh, Florida State. I think when it came to it, I mean, North Carolina against Florida State, you know, their defense has been pretty consistent. And they kind of did the same thing this week. You know, they give up some touchdowns, but again, they're not, they're not playing bad. I think the biggest, the biggest takeaway for me looking back on it is, what if the receiver catches that wide open ball? I can't remember who it was for NC State. That would have made it 14 to seven. I mean, and he ends up trying to save it and it gets intercepted in the end zone. I mean, that just, 
epitomize what NC State was going through last week with you know, losing Devin Leary. I think um, when it came down to it, going to Ben Finley was not a bad decision. He was a little sloppy with the football, but they kind of needed a spark, and Bailey Hockman really wasn't providing that type of spark that they needed. So why not give him a shot? I think Finley looked good in that second quarter there. And obviously leading him to a touchdown drive and really should have let him in two. But yeah, this uh, it's unfortunate because NC State team has shown a lot of hype. And again, it's another and uh, ACC team that just cracks the top 25 and falls far out of it after a game. But it was nice to see North Carolina show up. Um, it'll be interesting to see if North Carolina can carry this over uh, when they head to Virginia this weekend. But yeah, what a what a on you know this this is pretty much like last year's rivalry game, which kind of stinks because definitely UNC was the much better team last year. I think NC State, if they're healthy, could have kept this one close. But I mean, credit to North Carolina's offense, like I said, for for showing up and really just you know really just playing a good football game. I mean, they were able to drive the ball. Um, I still can't believe, and I, I want I don't know if you remember this when we were talking. We did our team previews way back. I don't even know how long ago we did North Carolina's. Um, team preview and everything like that but I don't know if you remember when we got really at least I know I got really excited maybe not you as much but I got really really excited for Grayson Atkins the kicker from UNC the all-american FCS guy from Furman and he has been not good <laughs> it was two of three yesterday or on Saturday so that that's good but you know four of eight this year it's he missed, of course, another one he should have made uh, this past weekend. And I just, I guess that's my my little NC or UNC harp is just like that was the thing I thought for sure was going to set him up. I mean, it killed him against Florida State, just not having the ability to really trust their kicker. But that that's probably the biggest miss uh, that I have that I can remember from the preseason predictions was how UNC was going to be in such great shape in the kicking kicking game, and it's been uh, everything but. <laughs> yeah. I made a joke, like, bring back Noah Ruggles because even Noah Ruggles was doing better than Atkins has been doing this year. But, no, nah, that's – I don't know. Kicking is so fluky. You got to you gotta stick with what, I guess, the large sample has told you in the past, and that is Grayson Atkins is still a good kicker. But, it, I don't know. Um, North Carolina, though, super inconsistent, like, because they showed their potential here. Um, after they lost to Florida State, though, last week. And then the week before, they showed that same potential with a very good win against Virginia Tech. So I don't know what to make of it. Maybe that Florida State game is a fluke, but it's not like that's the only game this year that they've um, been underperforming. So maybe um, inconsistent is the right word to give them. Uh, with Leary, I agree. NC State's offense would have been able to somewhat keep up with UNC, but I just think their offense – the UNC offense was too much. Again, Sam Howell was efficient, but it wasn't even him throwing the ball 50 times a game for 400 yards, which is a little bit different from what we're used to seeing last year in which he almost caught Trevor Lawrence in total passing yards in his true freshman season. It really was pounding the rock. I mean, or yeah, three position players were all over 100 yards and two of them were running backs. Uh, Javante Williams, who had a record number of broken tackles, he had about, I think, 180 yards or something like that. Carter went over 100, and De'Ami Brown, the wide receiver, 
at over 100. So good day for skill position players in the UNC side. And Sam Howell is being not a game manager, but he's not, again, that guy that's the complete full force, um, like the what this what the offense runs on and everything because they have a really good run game. And I feel like, if anything, like that is – a little bit more of a key to their offensive success. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself with, you know, our power rankings here, but uh, my thought on North Carolina right now, now after watching this game and kind of, you know, watching a few of these games and obviously Florida state being the lone blemish, it feels like the only team, obviously, you know, minus the top two with North Carolina and you know, or North Carolina Clemson and Notre Dame, excuse me, the only team that can beat, UNC, I think, is UNC because UNC beat himself. I mean, I I really think this offense is, is as you hyped him up to be in the preseason, Dan, so credit to you there. Um, and, again, when they played Florida State, they lost because they just didn't show up. And as soon as they did, things got great. But um, I want to know what your, what your thoughts are, and, and shout out to one of our loyal listeners, Emily, who loves to kind of give us some NC State insight. But what are your thoughts with NC State moving forward? They obviously have a bye week kind of rest up and it is definitely much needed, but then they host, you know, nationally ranked Miami and in, in, on Friday night uh, after the bye. So when the schedule gets pretty much easy as it could be, I would say moving forward with the toughest game really being left on the schedule and no offense to Georgia tech, but probably Liberty after this uh, Miami game. So, I mean, do you think NC state's going to lose more than two games the rest of the season? Cause I mean, with the injury, didn't look great, but then again, their schedule's kind of playing out to be pretty ideal moving forward. Yeah, schedule is loading. Give me a sec, but um, while, while I allow that to load, I mean, as to this game, you'd like to see their defense play a little bit better, but I, I think they got the unfortunate luck of the draw with Leary being hurt. Their quarterback situation is kind of a mess now. I mean, Bailey Hoffman got benched. Ben Finley, like you said, comes out looking pretty decent. Then his wide receiver drops a touchdown that gets tipped up and picked off. So, um, yeah, welcome to college football, Ben Finley. That's pretty nice greeting by his teammate right there. But then they eventually went back to Hawkman, I think, at the end of the game. So their quarterback situation is, I mean, not exactly stable with Le- without Leary. And we, we thought – that it would be more like this the entire year previewing the year. But, yeah, schedule is loaded. So, let's see. They got – yeah, four out of five of these games, I think they should be favored in. Florida State, Liberty, Syracuse, and Georgia Tech. Just the exception of Miami, which is – I mean, the way they look today, probably they're not going to win. Or the way Miami looked Saturday, they're probably not going to win, but it's winnable. So, NC State, I guess they were lucky to get their – tougher games over with in the earlier part of the season or really not. I think their schedule overall is just pretty easy. They avoided Clemson and Notre Dame, but I mean, my big takeaway on the offensive side for NC state, besides that quarterback situation was they really were unable to run the ball. And that's what hasn't been like them all year. I mean, even with Bailey Hockman in the first game, they ran the ball extremely well and put up 45 points and be wake. Yeah. You, you said, you know, they should be favored in four or five games. If I'm an NC State fan, I, and I'm, I'm obviously not, but I'm more comfortable. I personally think NC State has a better chance of beating Miami than they do beating Liberty. 
I feel more comfortable about it, to be honest with you. I don't know why. I think just because of what I've seen from Liberty, Liberty's going to come out trying to be world beaters where, you know, when it comes to Miami, if NC State's not hyped up after a bye week and get after getting their butt kicked by their arch rival on a Friday night, we're the only game on primetime on ESPN. And why even play the game? I mean, to be honest with you, it's probably going to be a top 10 Miami team barring some crazy, uh, some crazy stuff in the coming weeks. But that Liberty game, I think Liberty will be in the top 25 by then. I think Liberty will, you know, really have a chance. I mean, they obviously played Virginia Tech before then, so that'll kind of maybe set the tone a little bit better. But especially if, I mean, Leary should be back by then, Dan, I think. I think he's out like four to four six weeks, or eight weeks. So I don't know. So he could possibly be back for that game because that would be. I wouldn't count on it. It would be five weeks out. So there's a chance, but. I mean, I don't think I, – I think when it comes down to the quarterback matchup especially, you know, Malik Willis is better than both Bailey Hockman or Ben Finley at this very moment. Um, so that one should be interesting. But uh, any final thoughts on this one, Dan? Or do we move on to – let's see, what would be next? Would it be – would that be Notre Dame and Pitt? Yes, that would be Notre Dame and Pitt. Yeah, um, I think – I mean, for Liberty, we'll really – they're playing three ACC teams, so this is worth mentioning for 10 seconds about them. Their game against Virginia Tech will really determine, I guess, whether they are for real or they've just been feasting on low competition. But, yeah, let's move on. Notre Dame and Pitt. Finally, Notre Dame with an encouraging ACC performance. Yeah, it was 100% because of us, Dan. They were listening to the podcast and heard us saying that Notre Dame is the, the worst – you know, top five team we've ever seen and how they don't deserve, you know, to be really at stake. Say if we have to put them as the second best team in the conference. So I'm taking full, I'm taking full credit between the two of us for hyping up Notre, for getting Notre Dame fired up to, to beat up on Pitt. But yeah, um, the thing that I was, we were both, I don't know, I think we both were. I know I for sure was still even leaning it without Kenny picking up, pulling the upset for Pitt here. I mean, we were definitely right about, you know, uh, Joey Yellen not being ready for this Notre Dame defense. I mean, terrible day. 10 for 27, 101 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. Flip the script, Ian Book was three touchdowns for zero interceptions. I mean, the rushing attack once again could do absolutely nothing. The leading rusher was Vincent Davis with eight carries and 28 yards. I mean, Pitt's offense. I mean, this over under day in this game was 43 and a half. Notre Dame covered by themselves. And the worst part was it was still sweating. If you bet the over, you were sweating it because it only got to 48 points. <laughs> I mean, shout out to Notre Dame. I think they finally have solidified that when they play to the level that they should and can, they're a uh, top five team. As long as they don't, you know, get caught sleeping this week in Atlanta, I don't see why that Clemson-Notre Dame game will A, not be college game day, but B, be the de facto ACC championship game, but I mean, wow. I kind of want to talk about Pitt. I mean, we can talk about Notre Dame if you want. I mean, I think the, again, we learned that Notre Dame, I mean, we knew Notre Dame's defense was legit and Notre Dame's offense finally came alive and dismantled a Pitt defense, which honestly had no excuse to be destroyed, like, you know, to struggle as much as they did. But I mean, do you think, and I'm curious, Dan, because I'm starting to think it, do you think Pitt's gonna quit? Like, do you like? I I really think that Pitt's done. 
I know that's crazy to think, but I mean, we're talking about a team that barely escaped out, but again, it was a top 25 win at the time. So it was a big win in that sense. They beat the Louisville team 23 to 20, but you know, besides Austin Peay, I mean, they, they kind of struggled with Syracuse. They lose that one point game in NC state and then go on the road and lose by one against Boston college. Then you have a Miami team that sleepwalks all week and you're competitive and you lose. And then you finally play a real opponent and you get smacked. So not only have you played two, two games, you probably should have won and you ended up losing heartbreaking fashion. Then you lose a game where you look terrible. You were they're literally the team playing you were playing against played just as bad, if not worse than you, and you still lost. And then you play a team that's nationally ranked and they just run you over. I mean, I don't want, Pitt to quit. I don't. I don't want to be feeling this, but I mean, they got a bye week to regroup before they head to Tallahassee for Florida State. So good thing. I mean, both teams will be coming off the bye. But I'm, I'm wondering if you know maybe the the bye week will be the get right they need. But I mean, I don't think a Narduzzi team would quit like that. But I'm a little concerned about it, Dan, because they've had too many heartbreakers, and then they finally got the I think what I would consider a backbreaker with Notre Dame. Yeah, I. I... I agree. Like, I don't really want to admit or say that Pitt, Pitt has quit, but this would be their kind of game to win. Like, all those um, four and eight, five and seven Pitt teams, they would still have one really encouraging upset. And I don't think they're going to do it against Clemson. So, this was kind of the game to do it. And it's really unfortunate that Pickett was out. But either way, like, I don't, I don't think that, um, they would have been in. They would have been able to keep this game close with Kenny Pickett. Their defense gave up forty-five points. Um, but yeah, I was kind of talking about with my Twitter followers, who is a bigger disappointment this year, Pitt or Louisville? Obviously, take out the fact, the recency bias of what Louisville just did this week. But I mean, it might be Pitt. It's, it's a close competition, and uh, rewind four weeks. Pitt just got a big win over ranked Louisville. Um, I think it was ranked Pitt against ranked Louisville. And, you know, we're feeling very good about this program. So it's, it's very um, huge downfall for them. I will give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because they've had Joey Yellen for the last couple games, but it's, it's not looking great for them. Um, Big letdown. And it's not like Narduzzi is going anywhere. So, Sorry, Pitt fans. I think most of them are still okay with him, but some of them want him fired. But, yeah, moving to the Notre Dame side of things, like I said, this was the first time I've been truly impressed with them this season. I mean, there was their game against South Florida, but that was South Florida. Here they tore apart a good defense. Um, I don't think that Ian Book would be even near the top of my ACC QB power rankings, which I just made today. And um, – he, he has just a great team around him. Like his tight ends are phenomenal. Michael Mayer, the true freshman, he's really tough to cover. So my overall take on the Irish, I still don't see them as a playoff caliber team, but it's certainly good to see. I certainly have more confidence in them moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say they're a playoff caliber team. If it weren't for the fact, I don't know anyone besides Alabama, Ohio state and Clemson that are playoff caliber. So that fourth spot's kind of up in the air. So, other than that, though, yeah, I mean, Pitt needs to get right in this bye week. And, I mean, Pitt's schedule, 
not favorable moving out. So that's part of the reason, too. I think there's a chance they could quit because you end the season with Virginia Tech and Clemson. So, you know, obviously at Florida State and Georgia Tech aren't, you know, at Georgia Tech aren't too bad. But, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past, you know, the possibility that if Pitt is favored, it's only by a field goal or less, which you would have told me that knowing what we know about Florida State and Georgia Tech, I'd be a little concerned. But um, any other thoughts, Dan, before we move to what was a fun upset for me this weekend? No. Um, yeah, this was uh, Virginia Tech dropping one to Wake Forest. I mean, once again, the ACC is going to ACC. Yeah, um, I'm very disappointed in myself for not picking an upset. Um, and credit to you, Dan. You were the one that said if this game was a shootout, you think it favors Virginia Tech. I was on the flip side. Well, the game wasn't a shootout, and of course, it ended up favoring Wake Forest. So, shout out to you. I mean, Wake Forest's defense stepped up and played a fantastic game. Um, you know, the legend of Nick Anderson has now been, you know, birthed. I mean, he's by far the best walk on. Rudy was offside. So, clearly, Nick Anderson should get a movie now. Um, just saying. But I mean, I think. I want your thoughts, Dan, because you know how I am. Hennon Hooker for Heisman. Love the guy. I think I mean my favorite thing about Hennon Hooker though was he didn't turn the ball over. And he threw three interceptions this weekend. And as much as I want to say that that was just Nick Anderson having what was the greatest day of all time and Nick Anderson is the GOAT, a part of me is kind of like, what was going on with Hennon Hooker? I mean, this Virginia Tech just felt kind of all out of sorts. I mean, really didn't see anything. That really got me overly excited. I mean, shout out to Wake Forest. They did a fantastic job of spying and just sending as many people as humanly possible to Khalil Herbert. I mean, Khalil Herbert was held to 4.6 yards per carry, which is still a pretty decent day. But again, that was much lower than what he's been doing all year. So, I mean, I think this is showing that Wake Forest is top half of the conference and Finally settling into what, you know, a Dave Clawson team is. But, I mean, what are your takeaways from this one, Dan? I know I was a very happy man at the end of this one. Yeah, I'm about Hendon Hooker, like, all right, let's be real. He had an awful day. Um, and it's crazy because he's one of the best at taking care of the ball. And he threw three interceptions and threw some pretty bad ones, too. But I did have in my quarterback power rankings Hendon Hooker as fourth behind, of course, Lawrence Howell and D.R. King. I had him one spot ahead of Sam Hartman and Wake Forest fans. Well, they just watched this game. Sam Hartman completely outperformed him. They weren't happy as you could probably imagine, but I, I think I'm still a little bit confident in hooker. Like I want to go based off of what I've seen in like 10, 11 games that we've seen him play so far, rather than that, just that one game in the past. And obviously Hartman is taking a huge step up this year, especially with his deep ball. So I'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah. Um, when Hooker completely, I mean, underperformed, I guess is the word to say, kind of a mild word, but that's what I'll say. And Khalil Herbert didn't go off. So, I mean, Virginia Tech's offense is not going to score points that way. Their defense wasn't bad, but I mean, it's, you're not they didn't exactly allow their team to win the game and I don't know what this loss does it probably takes them out of ACC championship contention 
I mean, they have two losses already. They haven't played Clemson. They're not getting in with three losses. So I really think that they, this was an absolute can't lose game for um, Virginia Tech. And I mean, they lost. Yeah, Virginia Tech's hopes of being the second best in the ACC this year is definitely down the drain. I mean, I'm, I still think there's probably two losses on their schedule, if not more, at this rate. Um, they, they better show up offensively against Louisville because if Louisville can get some success going, because as much as, you know, I want to say that, you know, Wake Forest, again, Wake Forest's offense is very talented and Virginia Tech did a good job of slowing them, but Louisville, if they continue to to do what they did this past weekend against Florida State, against Virginia Tech, I mean, they better take, take, take good care of the ball and be able to run run the football because we're talking about a Wake Forest defense who's rush defense. And we, when you were pre- previewing Wake Forest and UVA a couple weeks ago, Dan, we talked about how UVA had a potential opportunity to have a breakout game with their running backs. And, you know, Wake Forest did a pretty good job of slowing them. But now Wake Forest's run defense has all of a sudden magically stepped up. But as part of me still wonders if, like, Maybe we're just seeing a struggle from these t- other teams. I don't know. Hopefully I'm wrong. And Virginia Tech or Wake Forest Stevens has just, you know, really, really done a great job of figuring out how to slow the run game down. But, I mean, it, that was disappointing from Virginia Tech. I mean, to be honest with you, if you would have told me Wake Forest only scored 23 points on Saturday, I would have said Virginia Tech won by a touchdown or two. And, unfortunately, that's just not the case for Hokies fans. And they took over uh, Truist Field on, on, on Saturday. I mean, that thing was if, – if Andrew Sandman would have played, obviously Wake Forest would not be dumb enough to play that. I mean, that stadium may have shook a little bit. I mean, there was definitely – when they did the stadium pans, I mean, I, I had some friends at the game, and they said it was probably about 70 to 30 in favor of Virginia Tech. So it's almost a home game for Virginia Tech in that sense, and Wake Forest still found a way to get the job done. But, again, just – what a weird game. I mean, again, Wake Forest just – did what they needed to do to win. I mean, no one really stood out offensively. Sam Hartman only threw for 110 yards. I mean, the offense ran for 236. So, I mean, not 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 a bad day there. But, again, really Christian Beale Smith had a very good game. But other than that, when it came to Wake Forest's offense, there really wasn't much going for it. I mean, it was the uh, Nick Anderson show defensively. And, you know, Nick Skiba finally looked like Nick Skiba, three for three, along a 46. Uh, I enjoyed drastically seeing, I don't know if you saw that, Dan, if you actually watched this game really in depth or not, but uh, Nick Skiba was pissed when uh, Dave Clawson didn't send him out there to potentially make it 26 to 16 with what had been like three and a half left or whatever it was, and they decided to punt. Of course, you know, Virginia Tech then, or Wake Forest decided to then pin them at like the four-yard line, so it worked out just fine, but, um, you know, Nick Skiba finally looked good, but yeah, Virginia Tech. Uh, I don't think it's time to overreact too much, Hokie fans, when it comes to you know firing Fuente or anything like that. But this does just start to give me that feeling, Dan, that the, that I think it almost could be the dagger for Virginia Tech being a top four team in the ACC, like it used to be, because Frank Beamer coached Virginia Tech team during their their peak does not lose this football game. They just don't. I mean, they Virginia Tech's the better team on paper. Virginia Tech's the better team probably eight times out of ten. But, again, this was one of those two times where Wake Forest found a way to win the football game. And, and it wasn't like uh, Wake Forest did something extra crazy to win this one. I mean, it just was sloppy play from Virginia Tech. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't really have much more to say. I think the last thing I'll say, obviously you touched on the Nick Anderson thing. He was phenomenal, much better than a Rudy story. Um, Christian Gale Smith going off 13 rushes, 129 yards. But I think their front seven for their defense is back. And that is really what I was happy to see because that's what I think we were talking about in the preview pod is, you know, their secondary is going to struggle, but they're going to be strong up front. Boogie Basham um, and some others. So their defense, the thing we worried about during the season after they gave up a ton of points and that really got things done. So positive sign for that. I, um, I think the positive for Wake Forest kind of cancel out the negatives for Virginia Tech as far as a neutral ACC fan perspective. But do you have anything more to say or do you want to move on to um, our second to last game of the day? Um, no, not really. Um, I Again, I just hope hope Virginia Tech re- re- responds well against Louisville this week. We need we – need, I got to keep my hand and hooker for Heisman trend going. But other than that, no, that's it. Let's move on to Boston College rolling Georgia Tech. I'm going to get this out in the open, Dan. I've been wanting to say this, and I'm going to, you know, shout out to one of our most active followers and probably one of the biggest Georgia Tech fans I've ever seen in my life. Hopefully I'll get to meet her at some point. Uh, good old patience. But um, besides her, the rest of the Georgia Tech fans that attacked me were saying that Georgia Tech was so much better than Louisville but I somehow put Louisville higher up in my power rankings after Georgia Tech had beat them. Since they have said that, Georgia Tech has looked awful and Louisville has looked pretty good. Georgia Tech, I mean, and I mean, tell me if I'm crazy, but I, I genuinely just feel like this Georgia Tech team, again, it, it's headed in the right direction. The program is headed in the right direction. Jeff Collins is going to take them to new heights, but Georgia Tech fans, can you please just admit that your team is not that good this season? They're not. They're just not there yet. Jeff Sims is still a freshman. He's sloppy. You know, this offense is just not not great. I mean, Jeff Sims missed some pretty wide-open receivers. They couldn't run the football on Saturday. I mean, just a really weird game for sure. I mean, we're talking about – we look at the total yards for what the score was. I mean, we're looking at – you know, 362 and 409 with the house high scoring it was, you would expect a little bit more yardage. But I mean, Georgia Tech just finally has proven, hopefully, to more people besides myself that they're really just not, they're not that special. I mean, they're just not, they're not there yet. They're, they're a year away from really peaking to be that, you know, six and six, seven and five team. And again, this is not me trying to say that Georgia Tech's bad, but that's just what Jeff Collins was given. I mean, he's changing the system. And unfortunately, you know, it didn't help that when they beat Florida State, everyone was high on Florida State. But Georgia Tech has kind of proven that they're just not there yet, Dan. And, and I don't, again, don't want to bash Georgia Tech fans too much, but it does feel very good to be kind of right about that because, you know, you look at the power rankings right now, if you don't have Louisville in front of Georgia Tech, I want to know why. Yeah, I – this game was kind of interesting to me because it was a, a battle between two programs that are kind of rebuilding a little bit. And Georgia Tech got – a head, a one-year head start. They hired Jeff Collins a year earlier than Boston College hired Jeff Halfley, and Boston College has still much ahead of them. Um, but I think, yeah, I don't, I don't think the issue is um, that Collins is not a good coach. I think the issue is he just had so much of a bigger project transforming that personnel from triple option 
which is pretty much only run by military schools and then um, transforming it to the spread with Jeff Sims. And I mean, it's not easy to do so quickly. And Georgia Tech fans, probably one of the most optimistic fan bases of the ACC. I, I love them, but I mean, I guess it has their downsides too. And I guess we've been seeing that a little bit lately the last couple weeks. Um, but yeah. yeah, for Boston College, I mean, we've they've always had a good passing game this year, but look what happens when they run the ball. They had 34 points in the first half, and the points only stopped in the fourth quarter when they took their foot off the gas. Um, Dracovic only threw the ball 21 times, but between Dracovic running the ball himself, David Bailey running the ball, Travis Levy running the ball, and even their wide receiver, Zay Flowers, get him the ball in his hands as many times as possible because that's always a good idea. They ran the ball for 266 yards. So really exploiting a flaw in the Georgia Tech defense, that's a good sign to see, kind of making Boston College more well-rounded. Hunter Long was not as involved in the receiving game, but he was looking really good as a run blocker. He still made my ACC all-week team. So – and then, yeah, I just think Halfley's a fantastic coach. He's done a tremendous job with the DBs. I was kind of talking with some Boston College fans. They brought up something to me that I really, I guess, went past me when they made the hire. Look at the job he's done with his deep, with his secondary at Boston College this year. That That's not just um, a fluke. Like, he developed, of course, the GOAT, Darrell Revis from Pitt. He developed Richard Sherman, and when he was an assistant coach at Ohio State, Jeff Okuda uh, credits him for developing him into a first-round pick. So, Halfley's really growing on me. He's a phenomenal coach. This Boston College program is much farther ahead than I thought they'd be at this point. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good point, and it kind of leads me to what I was actually going to say. You know, I think when it, when it kind of came down to it, you know, I think both coaches – Collins and Halfley are fantastic guys and they're going to do great things in their programs. I think it kind of shows too, this game especially showed, you know, where these two programs were at. Boston college was just sleepwalking with Steve Adazio. I mean, I think that this team was very talented, you know, especially with who they had up front off on the offensive line. I mean, if you had a, an aggressive play caller that was willing to, you know, make adjustments and no offense to Steve Adazio, but he's not known for being that really witty, you know, X's and O's guy, he's about tough, physical, out when, you know, we're going to overpower them. Well, Halfley's taking advantage of the ability to overpower some teams. You know, they overpowered Georgia Tech this weekend, but using it in ways with schemes that honestly just are conflicts for all their opponents. I mean, you mentioned it, Halfley's a fantastic hire. I mean, Boston College is very lucky. My only concern is, I don't want to, you know, insult Boston College here, but Hopefully Halfley has no reason to leave in the next few years to go to an SEC school, you know, or something like that. If Auburn opens up, I don't know if he would ever do that, but you know, he, he has proven that he can do a lot with when, what's around him right now. If he can get some solid recruiting classes in this Boston college team could, dare I say, be back to the Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan days. Dare I say it? I'm willing to kind of say there's a chance, but yeah, I think this game, again, this kind of just solidifies that Boston College this year is – it kind of reminds me of last year's Louisville team. It's not completely fair because the Louisville team was 2-10 and 10 and then transitioned to a 7-5 and five team where you know, Boston College still made a bowl game last year. But 
you know, it kind of feels like that kind of experience where everyone was like, well, Boston College is done this year. It's kind of fried. Um, you know, Dazio has gone. They're, Halfley's going to have to rebuild. He's going to change the system. You know, obviously they lost. Um, wow, why am I drawing a blank? A.J. Dillon. <laughs> and, 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 you know, obviously, you know, who's going to be the quarterback? But they found their quarterback. They found a system that works. And when it comes to X's and O's and game planning, I don't know if there's really – any better coach right now that's not in Clemson in the ACC better than uh, Jeff Halfley, if I'm being completely honest. I just think he's done a great job and he he knows he knows the game. And that's what he was brought to Ohio State to do was you know, he, he just knew the game. And and that's where Boston College is showing that when it comes down to it, if you're a fan of, of any team coming up with Boston College, you know, obviously they got Clemson next. So Clemson shouldn't be too worried about it. But that uh, no, that November fourteenth game, Dan, for Boston College hosting Notre Dame. I'm going to call it an early upset watch right here. Not a, not upset special just yet, but an upset watch. And I'm calling it here on on October twenty sixth because when it comes down to game planning, I want Halfley. I want Halfley in my room for sure. Yeah, that's going to be a bloodbath too with the whole Villager Kovic situation and the rumors that Kelly, the Notre Dame coach, was trying to. Um, prevent him from getting a waiver to play and all that. And of course, should Notre Dame have um, chosen Phil Dracovic and prioritized him more over Ian Book? So that, I mean, I'm really excited for that game. Um, but that's all I have for Boston College and Georgia Tech. I'll let you kind of transition into the next game and let you kind of give your final thoughts if you have any. Those two, uh, I, I had nothing else. Um, again, I think if you're a Georgia Tech fan, hold out hope this team's headed in the right direction. It kind of reminds me of when Dave Clawson first came to Wake Forest. You know, you got to hold out hope. You know, things are, you're going to get some, you're going to get games that show you there's reasons to believe, and you're going to have a lot of games that are going to bring you back down to earth and kind of remind you, hey, just not there yet. And the key word there is yet in Boston College. And if you're a fan of Boston College, you got to be excited for the future, but you got to be excited for this year because this is a team that could find a way to have seven wins. And, and that's an improvement from last year while playing less games <laughs> and having a much crazier transition with the new coach. So um, yeah, let's move on to the final game of the ACC slate. We had 11th ranked Miami taking down Virginia 19 to 14. And what was sloppy, terrible game. I was in attendance for this game last year when Miami upset Virginia and that game was sloppy. I think that one was 17 to nine. So this game actually ended up being a little bit closer on the scoreboard. Again, Virginia kind of scored late here to give themselves a chance. But Dan, I don't, I don't want to say that Virginia looked terrible in a game where they were only losing by five to a top 15 team in Miami. It almost feels like Miami is just sleepwalking right now. And they did it against Pitt last week. I mean, I honestly want to make the argument that Miami in back-to-back weeks have looked as bad, if not maybe even a little bit worse than their opponents. I think this week Virginia looked pretty bad, so I'll say Miami was even with them, where against Pitt, I think it actually looked a little bit better, but again, the talent for Miami just wasn't able to prevail. But, I mean, what, what do you take away from this game? Because I want to say that my takeaway here is Miami's just overrated. That's really the only takeaway. I mean, and Virginia is 
Virginia's Virginia. It's it's unfortunate, but it sounds like Virginia is probably looking at no more than three wins this year. So, and that's, you know, being generous, giving them one ACC win. I mean, they have the potential to really hang around in, in any game this season, um, including UNC this coming weekend. But on the same front, I mean, I just feel like, again, Miami just looks sloppy. And, yeah, I mean, what are your takeaways here? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, it never felt to me like this was a matchup featuring the number 14 team in the country because it just – it didn't. Um, I felt like both teams underperformed, and once again, it was kind of that situation where talent won. Um, and D.R. King was everything. He played a really good game, much better than the last couple weeks. The offensive line wasn't even great, but D.R. King made magic happen. I think the difference was his ability to extend plays – and really um, allow his receivers time to get open. Um, finally, the emergence of a wide receiver, Mike Harley, 10 catches, 170 yards and a touchdown. One thing he has, a ton of speed. So that is good to see. Um, yeah, for Virginia, I mean, Armstrong, he actually played, in my opinion, a pretty solid game. He was actually the highest graded quarterback in the ACC this week. I don't think that is the greatest, most accurate representation of what happened. There were definitely quarterbacks that performed better than him, but it's just something worth noting because he just had so many drops, five on the record books, but more that were catchable. Um, I feel like his receivers really failed to step it up on Saturday. And um, this coming week, they've really set themselves up that it's a, must-win game against number 15 team in the country, North Carolina. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of hope because they have dominated UNC in both sports. So, I mean, I don't think – well, it's been like 2017 since the last time North Carolina has beaten Virginia in either fa- basketball or football. Yeah, that, that is correct, Dan. But I think if there's a positive, if you're a Virginia fan, take away from this past weekend was – the defense finally showed up. They finally played to their potential. I mean, again, De'Ara King, like you said, was the highest graded quarterback, but I do think that that's, can, that's kind of skewed. He was just – he played a clean game. He didn't turn the ball over. That was the only kind of big kicker there. But where a lot of our quarterbacks in the ACC this weekend were a little sloppy with the football, including, I mean, the best quarterback in the conference, Trevor Lawrence, but – I mean, again, Virginia's offense just looks rough. I mean, obviously, Brent Armstrong was back in the starting lineup. That that opening touchdown drive for Virginia, Dan, kind of got me excited because it kind of made me think that we were going to be in for a shootout. I mean, Miami scores less than, you know, 30 seconds into the game. Then Virginia goes down in four and a half minutes and scores. And I'm like, wow, we might have a shootout on our hands. And we got the opposite of that. Kickers were being college kickers. Uh, Bad misses. Delaney's streak is finally over. I think I don't remember what the number was up to, but it, it was up to in the 20s, if I'm not mistaken. But again, I mean, good for Virginia. Their defense stepped up. But you know, this Virginia team is finding ways to lose, in my opinion. The defense finally shows up and the offense is bad. <laughs> just just playing bad, to be honest. Um, I kind of like the rotation of quarterbacks. I know that Brennan, you want to stick with a quarterback and Brennan Armstrong is probably the best quarterback on that Virginia offense, but I really was hoping to see Ira Armstead a little bit more. I think it would have been a nice little change of pace, but I guess in the end, I mean, Brennan Armstrong was the leading rusher in this game, 
if you did not know that. So I guess that in that sense, yeah, it was what you'd get from Ira Armstead. But yeah, Virginia, I mean, if they want to save this season, they've got to beat North Carolina because if not, I mean, I just don't, I don't see any cause for optimism for anything close to a 500 season, which kind of stinks because you and I both thought Virginia was at least going to be better than everybody expected, you know, when it came to like the experts, but sounds like the experts might actually have gotten Virginia right because they really haven't done much. And, and we're talking about after the Virginia Clemson game, we're talking about how Virginia is pretty for real. And, and now here we are, which it's crazy too, because, you know, Virginia had, what had killed them the last two weeks was their inability to start games. They came out, I don't know if they were drunk, hungover, sleeping, <laughs> I don't know, whatever it was, they looked awful. And then this week, I mean, defensively, they came out drunk on that first drive, but they dialed in, but the offense just wasn't there. I mean, uh, I'm done harping on Virginia. I think with Virginia, I mean, if you're a Virginia fan, you know, it stinks, but I mean, you lost a program changer in Bryce Perkins. You've got a weird COVID year. Injuries are still biting you in the butt defensively. I Don't give up hope if you're a Virginia fan. I think if you're a Miami fan, though, considering where they are ranked 11th in the country right now, I would be a little concerned because this is the whole, this is playing into that Miami's bet narrative. You know, they're top 10 and they're going to have a bad upset somewhere because they better wake the heck up, Dan. I mean, they look bad, bad for winning. Like the way these, this team has played, taking out what we know about how the other, their opponents have played. Miami should have lost both those games. I mean, they've just looked again, just, just lacks of physical. I mean, good for them. Again, if you're a, a team of Miami's caliber where you're able to play like crap and still win games, I mean, that shows you how good your team can be. But, I mean, again, that, they got a bye week to prepare for NC State as well. I hope they take that bye to prepare and, and get, get excited. But, Dan, like I said, Miami off the bye under good old Manny Diaz has never won a game. And we're talking about FIU, Louisiana Tech. So, an NC State team that can kind of maybe figure out the quarterback situation. Calling for a possible upset there. If not, they got Virginia Tech the next week in Blacksburg, which hopefully by then they'll have fans. But I don't know if Virginia's ever going to allow like the Commonwealth, not you know Virginia, Virginia Tech, those schools included, will ever be allowed to have more than just basically family and friends in the stadium. But yeah, um, any other takeaways on this? My my again, only real takeaway here is Virginia is kind of solidifying itself near that bottom of the conference and. Miami better wake the heck up because unfortunately they're probably going to stay the same in my power rankings and they're going to be in the top half and they don't look like a, look like a top 15 team in my opinion right now, Dan. I mean, the second spot in the ACC looks like a three-team race right now, but I think Notre Dame looks a significantly best team of the three with between Miami, Notre Dame, and UNC. And UNC has the, mo- the higher ceiling in my opinion. So where's Miami's place going to be? I mean, it's very possible that they win out. And then it kind of sets up an interesting tiebreaker because I'm kind of guessing that Notre Dame will also win out. They don't play Miami besides obviously Clemson. So each team will have one loss to Clemson. How does the tiebreaker set up for that? Cause there's no head to head. I don't know, but either way, um, I mean, I guess the, the second spot race will be fun. I think all of them will get clobbered by Clemson, but with that being said, um, you want to move on to our accolades of the week? Yeah, why not? Let's go ahead and do that. 
Um, I'm going to change the pace a little bit, Dan, because as much as, you know, we like, I like to go kind of where we go through ours, I think we have a consensus on our defensive player of the week. I know we kind of both have an honorable mention. So um, our defensive player of the week, Dan and I both agreed, and I hope everyone else in the ACC, if you follow the ACC closely, would agree. It's the walk-on wonder, Nick Anderson, the GOAT. I mean, honestly, Nick Anderson should win the Heisman, if I'm being completely honest with you, because he picked off my Heisman winner and Hendon Hooker three times. But, yeah, Nick Anderson was our defensive player of the week. Um, Dan, who was your honorable mention for this one? So I had um, two from actually the Syracuse side. So I had um, McKinley Williams, who is a defensive lineman. He was really stout up front, stopping Travis Etienne, containing him. He was credited for five stops which is like a negative play cost and then Garrett Williams who played phenomenal coverage made plays all over the place um so two Syracuse guys obviously they ended up losing but I was impressed with some of their defensive players on that side of the ball gave me a little bit of hope for them yeah uh, for my honorable mention I'm sticking with Wake Forest I'm going with Carlos Boogie Bash and I hype him up all the time the Roanoke boy got to play against his, you know, hometown team growing up with Virginia Tech. Eight tackles, uh, one assisted tackle. I think it was two tackles for loss, one sack, and one forced fumble. And even when he wasn't making the actual tackle, he was always a force. Big play, a uh, big part of slowing down the running game with Khalil Harbert and Blackshear for Virginia Tech. So I'm going to go with Bo- Boogie Basham as my – Honorable mention, but again, Nick Anderson was by far the best defensive player in the ACC this week. But Dan, who was your offensive player of the week? Um, I had Javante Williams, record number of broken tackles. I think he had like 17 broken tackles this week. Accounted for 19 rushes, 160 yards, and three touchdowns. So another hell of a fantasy day for him. If you've been, you're in my league, he's, I feel like every week he puts up like 30 points, but this will be another one. Um, I think it's 32 off the top of my head or not more than that. It'll be like 34, 36, but yeah, hell of a day for Javante Williams. Um, what was your offensive MVP? The emergence of Javion Hawkins or the reemergence, whatever you want to call it. 174 yards on 16 carries for three touchdowns. I mean, he was a big part in, in sparking this Louisville offense and hopefully sparking this Louisville season. So Javion Hawkins for sure is my offensive player of the week, though. I do like your selection because that's a kind of an underrated one per se. Again, if you're on, if you're outside of the ACC realm, where you know, Javion Hawkins got a lot of hype this 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 preseason, but again, I got to go with Javion Hawkins here because he really hasn't been overwhelming this season, and he finally had that type of game we expected from him. Yeah, and um, my team of the week, I could have gone two different directions. I went with Wake just because they had like the best, most impressive win. Um, obviously with the Nick Anderson story and the walk-on true freshman and which we've probably each said about 30,000 times, but we're never going to say it enough. And um, yeah, good win over Virginia Tech looking like potentially a top half of the conference team. So credit to Wake Forest. They did a lot this week, but I kind of, I already know what you're going to go with. So I'll let you say it. Well, see, Wake wasn't even in my uh, my top two. I won't go my honorable mention quick. I was going to go Boston College with the honorable mention spot because, again, they were more impressive than I thought they would be against Georgia Tech. But 
Dan, of course it's Louisville this week. I mean, come on. I, oh, I said they were the most overrated team in the ACC. Yet I was also the probably the one person overranking them in our power rankings every single week. So, you know, that logic all added up. Louisville finally showed up and finally the Louisville team I was hoping to see, I was expecting to see. So Louisville is definitely my team of the week here. Yeah. And um, all right, moving on to our power rankings. So what I did was, aside from Clemson, number one, which obviously we both have, aside from that, I have one, two, three tiers. Um, I have a two through four, a five through eight, and a nine through 15. So um, do you want to – you want to go by my tiers? Do you have tiers yourself, or do you just have a list one through fifteen? I don't have tiers, but like I mean, I can look at it and kind of go with tiers. But all right, so if you want to do your tiers, I can just do my one through fifteen right afterwards. Then, so you want me to get my whole thing? Yeah, go for it. Let's do it that way. That way, you you can explain your tiers, and then I can also potentially build similar tiers as we as like when I go through mine. All right, so number one, Clemson, obviously. Number two. Notre Dame, they haven't lost a game yet, and they're actually looking pretty good now. So definitely number two. I think there's an argument that obviously they're not near Clemson, but Notre Dame could make their own tier because I feel like they are still a pretty significant about amount above number three, Miami, who just hasn't lost to a non-Clemson team. So I have to keep them there. And in North Carolina, probably has a higher ceiling than Miami, but also a lower floor, as we've seen with losses bad losses to Florida state. So um, that's going to be my second tier, Notre Dame, Miami, North Carolina. Then I had a five through eight. This is kind of like the above average tier. Like they're, they have some good potential. They're not in the contention, but they each have a couple of losses. Um, Virginia tech is at the top of that tier. Still, I still believe this was just one bad game and I still, like them but i mean one more game like this even if they don't lose they'll be moving down so that's five number six boston college heck of a performance by them um and number seven wake they are moving up steadily um we thought they were among the bottom of the conference in the beginning of the year but a couple of nice wins recently and number eight i have nc state who um is moving down because of obviously that three uh, large loss, but then also they've been losing their quarterbacks and um, they lost their quarterback Leary. So things are kind of looking a little bit down for them, but they still have some good wins in the past. So I'll keep them in that tier. And we got my bottom tier, which is all kind of a cluster starting off with number nine pit um, number 10, Georgia tech, number 11, Louisville, those are teams that, I mean, Pitt and Louisville have completely disappointed. At least Louisville moving up a little bit after a nice win. I actually do have Georgia Tech above Louisville still. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I think, obviously, the, the head-to-head, but also, I mean, Louisville has looked awful besides this one game. So, And it's also against a team below them, which Georgia Tech – also beat so just keeping that in consideration i could easily see the argument for louisville being above georgia tech and i'm sure i'm gonna get a lot of heat from you but that's still the case and i didn't even realize i had that but um anyway number 12 florida state um 
I mean, not much positive to say about them, but they just they've they've they beat UNC. They beat a team above them. Virginia hasn't. And so that's why Virginia's 13. Duke has just been awful, but at least they have been there at 14, and at least they haven't been as bad as Syracuse at 15. Yes, they hung in with Clemson, but I still I mean, you can't reward somebody by losing by 27 points. So Syracuse is rounding up my list. Okay, yeah, I mean, my tiers, if I were to build something, it would be kind of similar. Um, Notre Dame would be, actually, sorry, Clemson will start off was number one, and that's a tier of its own. Notre Dame at two is almost like a sub-tier sub of that paragraph. Then there's that little gap there where I think three through three and four are kind of neck and neck with that or with that Miami and Notre Dame cluster. Uh, those teams could, again, compete with Clemson per se, I don't think they could beat them where I think Notre Dame could potentially beat Clemson. I don't like those odds. I'd give them like 10%, but I'd give, you know, Miami and Notre Dame or North Carolina, excuse me, a 1% chance in that. Uh, five, all an overreaction, but when it comes to these power rankings, Dan, it's kind of what what's going on right now, where I'm at now, not a projection of how the season's going to go and finish out and not necessarily a, you know, what have you done, you know, in weeks one and week two. I've got Wake Forest at five, and, and my justification for this is Virginia Tech's at six and NC State at seven, so this is kind of the perfect segue for this. But I think Virginia Tech, when it's clicking in all cylinders, is probably the fifth best team in the ACC. I'd almost argue that NC State is better than um, Wake than Virginia Tech and or better than Wake Forest, excuse me. But I had to put Wake Forest at five because – when it came down to it, NC State without Devin Leary is not a top six team in the ACC, in my opinion. And that's where it get, gets kind of sticky because if NC State had Devin Leary, they would not be in this spot at all, regardless of the outcome against North Carolina. But I, I just don't – I don't have trust in this NC State team when it comes to, you know, being able to win football games and expecting Bailey Hockman or uh, uh, Finley to make plays. So just – Call me, call me a, a doubter in that sense because obviously NC State did beat Wake Forest, but I'm just going to go with Wake Forest at five again because I, th I think when it matters most, they're the team that's trending in the right direction right now. They don't have any real major issues in terms of injuries to worry about. This team is kind of developing its defense, which has been huge for them. And I think when it comes down to it, this offense, you know, led by Sam Hartman can, you know, move the football through the air, but this rushing attack has kind of made an appearance on the scene. So, I don't feel comfortable with them being at five, but my tier of five through seven is literally neck and neck. And because, you know, in the end, I think that NC state is the worst team of the three right now without Devin Leary, that kind of puts them there. And then obviously Wake Forest just beat Virginia Tech. So by the head to head rule, I have to have, you know, Wake Forest just a little bit higher. And plus, you know, Virginia Tech over NC state makes sense because Virginia Tech beat NC state, but at eight and come on Louisville under Georgia Tech, Louisville's coming in at eight, number eight for me, mainly because I think this offense is going to take a step forward. They were also number nine in my power rankings last week. So if they're going to win a game by 30-some points, um, I'm obviously going to have to move them up a spot when the rest of the conference hasn't looked that good. Though I do think that Boston College and Louisville are right next to each other. I do have Boston College at nine. Eight, nine, and ten for me are kind of a tier of, it, uh, of kind of switch-offs. Honestly, you can make the argument five through ten really is. Um, there's not much difference between my five through 10, but nine again, Boston College and 10 being Pitt. Again, I want to put Pitt higher, but this defense has me very alarmed that they're, they're going to quit now. So that's why they're falling so drastically. Plus, again, 
without Kenny Pickett, the quarterback situation is disgusting. I mean, just absolutely terrible. No offense, you know, to that, that pit offense, but they can't run the football. They really can't move the ball through the air. I just don't, I just don't see it with Pitt. My, uh, my 11 through uh, 15, honestly, is interchangeable a little bit. I think Syracuse by far is the worst team, but again, they at least showed up somewhat against Clemson and, and, and played ball. You, you think Clemson was sleepwalking, but 11 being Virginia, I just trust the Bronco Mendenhall team to kind of respond somewhere uh, along the line here. And then Georgia Tech coming in at 12. Uh, I think that, again, they're headed in the right direction, but just not there yet. Florida State at 13, just because, again, their talent is better than both Duke and Syracuse, but Duke at 14 because, you know, when you turn the ball over as much as they do, it's hard for me to have confidence in them. And then obviously Syracuse rounding out the bottom of the conference at 15. Yeah. Um, all right. This is a solid list. I mean, I don't really disagree with much in that. And I definitely see the argument about um, Louisville over Georgia Tech. But, yeah, I mean, looking forward, we got – I mean, next week in the ACC is not fantastic. But following week – we have Clemson against Notre Dame, which will finally be the ACC on prime time and um, national TV, all this national hype. That'll be good to see because we had a lot of that in the beginning of the year. Then kind of the other conferences were playing and that's kind of stopped a little bit. But um, yeah, um, not not the out-of-conference games that I wanted in the ACC this year, but maybe that's a better thing because I still feel like we're – all right, I'll, I'll put it this way, a rebuilding conference. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a good way of putting it. But fortunately, Dan, we've been saying the rebuilding word now for at least two years, maybe even three, depending on who you are. So hopefully uh, hopefully, we're not turning into uh, your beloved Mets and their fans where it's oh, the year. So <laughs> keep going, though. With, with that being said, Dan, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, if not... Can't wait to talk some more ACC football later this week. Yeah. Um, no, everyone, take care. Enjoy football. We are so happy to be progressing with this season. We have basketball coming up, so a lot of content going to be brought your way. And, um, yeah, go ACC.